stretch drive of the National Hockey League season. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Let you know what's happening over with Cam and company uh, in Surrey uh, with the true 12.2 line coming up in the gear segment. And our feature interview this week is a fascinating, fun, cool journey with uh, the Anaheim Ducks goalie coach, uh, Sudarshan Maharaj, uh, will uh, stop by and chat with Kevin Woodley, who joins us now along with the co-founder of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison. Do you guys feel a different vibe, Hutch, as we close in on the end of the National Hockey League season and get ready for the playoffs? Everything's starting to feel just a little bit more serious, isn't it, as mm-hmm. things are getting sorted out for the playoffs and uh, teams are getting aligned and thinking about what's uh what's next for them, who the opponents will be and who's starting. And we had a, I know an interesting conversation around the table before we started recording here about uh, who's going with who in net and who has concerns. It's uh, things get really exciting now, don't they? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I'm not feeling it yet. And I think it's because the day job is to cover the Vancouver Canucks and there's still nine or eight games left in their season and they play till May 18th or 19th. And to be to, perfectly honest, like the, I, the fact that other teams only have two or three games left and, um, you know, like, like the teams that are out could be making, you know, coaching change decisions, Ross, like they're going to have, they're going to do their baggy day and clean out the locker room like next week. And I got like another 10 days left in my season to cover. And it's, so I, I'm having trouble getting there, boy. So I'm going to rely on you guys to sort of pull me into the excitement of pending playoff hockey. Because uh, I actually honestly think that playoff hockey is going to start and I'm still going to have to cover the Vancouver Canucks and Calgary Flames three and four nights after, after the playoffs start elsewhere. That's the sense I'm getting of the schedule. Those games will occur while the playoffs are already going on in other places. Like if there's any further delay and, and touch wood, there, let's hope there isn't, but there could be nine teams left uh, during the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs or, or 10 teams, uh, whoever Vancouver is playing, because they could be playing those, uh, those regular season games. Um, you know, let's get into uh, some of the goaltending talk uh, around the National Hockey League. I challenged you two gentlemen to come up with your divisional nominee for the Vesna Trophy. So instead of the traditional three finalists, we have a, a winner from each division, and then we'll put them into a pot. We're not going to do the final voting today, but I'm curious. Uh, who are your nominees from the East, the West, uh, the Central, and the North? And let's start with the East, if we can, Hutch. Oh, you have to start where it gets a little tough. I know. I thought we'd go there and we then can't just, go with, uh, and can't then we go with the West? I'll do the West and the Central, and Woody can do the East and the North. <laughs> not a chance. No, I'm not letting you off the hook. No way. I, you know, you know that old expression. I feel like I brought a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, Woody's the only one who's got access to all these advanced stats. So it <laughs> doesn't matter point. what I say. He's going to come back with, "Yeah, guys," but the environment that guy's working in. It's not a debate. It's just an opinion. It's just an opinion. Don't worry. You're going to be right and I'm going to be wrong because the general manager is just, just, just look at the win column. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Okay. How about, how about I do this? I'm going to say, I think Semyon Varlamov is probably going to get picked by a lot of people. And I think Woody's going to come back with uh, Igor Shesterkin. That is such a cop-out. Is it a cop-out? Uh, of, of a selection. He's what do you say, right? Woody? I mean, I've heard a lot. He, he's he's bang on. Like Varlamov is a guy who's actually getting like legit buzz 
for, you know, this guy could be a Vesna Trophy finalist, like forget his, you know, not just doing it in the division. I've heard people say he should be a Vesna Trophy finalist based on his raw numbers. His adjusted numbers are still good. Like he's above, he's above expected, but to the tune of 18th in the league. And I would say that 18th in the league in terms of your, your, your performance probably shouldn't get you a Vesna Trophy nomination. Um, but what the hell? They gave Andre Vasilevsky a finalist and he was in the 30s last year. So uh, raw numbers and wins matter more. Hutch is probably right. Varlamov will be the guy. Uh, but the fancy math, uh, the clear sight analytics statistics do tell you that Shesterkin should be. He's he's in the top 10 in the entire league right now. Um, kind of tough to you know pick him because it hasn't been the season we envisioned. But I think if you're a Rangers fan, and, and my God, with what's going on there this week, um, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs with, what are they, like 56 points right now? They'd make the playoffs in every other division. They just happen to be in the toughest one. So it's tough to give Shesterkin a vote, but he's been the best goalie in that division this season. And I think if you're a Rangers fan, this is the bright side. It hasn't been a steady progression for him from last year. Development is never linear, as they say. Um, and yet, as the year's gone on, he's started to look more and more like that guy more often. Uh, and given them the type of goaltending that I think they're going to need moving forward, and it's it's legit high end. So, um. I I think it's a great uh, step uh, the first year after Hank. I think that's a that's maybe one of the most positive things about it that there's not that gaping hole uh, in goal. What about the West, oh, Woody? Uh, let's start with you there, and you only have to pick for yourself. You don't have to pick for Hutch. Right. So I start with the East, and then you give him the softball. This is an easy one. I, uh, listen, this listen. Is- the complaining in this segment in, is is overwhelming right now. I know. I told you Woody was grumpy today, and it's all coming from me, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you whiners. <laughs> uh, this you is what? a no-brainer, and this is a guy that I would actually uh, tell well, I'm done. should probably win the whole thing, and we can have that debate later because um, I don't think he will. But uh, Marc-Andre Fleury with a bullet. Um, his season has been... Vesna worthy from start to finish. Maybe a little dip there in the middle, but everyone has them. Andre Vasilevsky had a much bigger dip, frankly, that seemed to get ignored. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury is is the guy. He's um, the only guy who's been better than him, but hasn't played enough games to be in this conversation. Statistically, is Peter Morazic. Uh, Flower has been better than Vasilevsky um, on a per shot basis, and even though he's played less, he's actually saved more goals. Uh, relative to Vasilevsky this year. He's number one in the NHL, so he's definitely going to be number one in the West. There's there's no debate. So he just said that we would have the Vesna conversation later, and then Woody laid the whole thing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then he went right through it. Yeah, perfect. Uh, wh- what, about, uh, what about the West? Grubauer and Marc-Andre Fleury were the two guys that separated themselves this season. Uh, Hutch, do you agree with Fleury? Yes, of course. With a bullet, that was an easy call. I, I was just thinking with some of these, it, it might almost be fun to talk about some unsung guys some guys that maybe uh, have had quietly good years or good years on bad teams or uh, I, I don't know I think Cam Talbot's had a had a pretty solid year there for Minnesota and getting getting overlooked perhaps um, not as big name a team not as successful as a team so um, maybe an honorable mention to him but of course it's flurry and uh, and he would be my favorite for the the Vesna as well but uh, we're not having that conversation yet so that's we'll a that that's a good time. I like the camp Talbot there Hutch gotta be honest with you because uh, around the Thank league you. like I said I think flurry's a no-brainer in this division but around the league you hear more buzz for for Philip Grubauer in that third hole like this is going to be a flurry Vasilevsky discussion to win 
the Vesna, and it's sort of the only question is who sort of ends up third in voting. And I hear more buzz for Philip Grubauer in that number three spot. And Cam Talbot's statistics relative to, again, the shot quality in front of him are identical to Philip Grubauer's. He should be in that conversation every bit as much. And, and a guy that uh, that has got his team uh, playing above what was expected at the start of the year and challenging for first place in the West. The Central, uh, considering Woody's already thrown Vasilevsky's name out there seven times, uh, I assume that's where we're going. But uh, UC Saros has had one heck of a year himself. Uh, Hutch, back to you. Well, again, this one was uh, pretty obviously Vasi, and then I had right below him uh, UC Saros as well, um, both for a fantastic performance, especially later in the season. And, uh, and of course, uh, being a short guy, you know, I think there's got to be goaltending per inch or something like that. And I want to give a little bit of a, an adjusted uh, shout out to UC Saros. I, I think it's, it's fantastic to see how well he's doing. It's an interesting division, isn't it? Because you've got um, some great performances in Carolina, as Woody just mentioned, and uh, in Florida as well. Another team that's sort of doing it by committee. And we've seen now, what, three, three different... Uh, well, four different guys playing is it this year, but um, three notable guys in terms of uh, you know how, how things have been going. So I think it's a bit of an interesting division. And then if I you know might give another one of those uh, unsung shoutouts, I think um, in Detroit, actually both Jonathan Bernie and Thomas Grice have have you know had some good seasons here, and Thomas especially uh, more recently uh, put up some great numbers. So um, Elvis Mers Lickens has got some pretty good numbers lately as well down down there at the bottom of the division. So there's some really interesting performances in the in the Central Woody, aren't there? Yeah, and there's also some really interesting sort of juxtapositions too. Like Peter Morazic with more games is in this conversation with Andre Vasilevsky, assuming of course, and it's never a safe assumption to make because part of the job is sort of being able to do it over an extended period of time. But if he'd stayed healthy and played more, the numbers in his game so far tell you he would be in this conversation. And then on the other end of that, Alex Nedeljkovic, whose raw numbers, some might argue, should put him in this conversation. He still had a really nice year, but like he's 19th in the NHL. And, and that's a team that's doing it with an environment that's really friendly to their goaltenders. Morazic's just outperforming it even at that. The one question I have is when we, especially when we look at, you know, differences in expected like Nadelkovich's expected environment is expected save percentage is one of the highest in the National Hockey League right now and Morazic's is quite a bit lower and so it's really tempting to say wow I mean like same team we've seen it before um but same team like is it really that different and is it really that much easier for one goalie and the other and there are times when hey especially you get a young kid like Swayman's environment's a lot easier than Tuca's and sometimes teams rally around a young goaltender and play well in front of him and try and support him. But in Nedeljkovic's case, I wonder how much of it is his handle. Like the way they get out of their zone, is it that much better because Ned stops more pucks behind the net because Ned moves the puck so much better? We saw the overtime assist, you know, off the boards to a breakaway, like perfect apple to win the game. And, you know, sometimes I think we saw it with Henrik Lundqvist and Igor Shesterkin last year. Lundqvist's defensive environment was a way worse than Shesterkin's. But how much credit should Shesterkin get for the fact that he was so much more active and good at moving the puck and getting them out of their own zone as opposed to pinned in their own zone when Henrik was in net? So it's a fascinating sort of subset that even though I can throw these raw numbers at you, 
um, that say that Ned's environment's been that much easier, maybe he deserves some credit for creating part of that himself. And, you know, frankly, it would require a lot more work to sort of look at the tape and see how big that impact is. But I think it would be ignorant to ignore it completely. Uh, two things. Nedeljkovic has had uh, a great progression to the National Hockey League. Like he's done it uh, at every level. So he's he's earned this opportunity. And the numbers shouldn't just be dismissed, not saying you are. Uh, number uh, two is I can now, for the first time, well, uh, in, in like three years, look at that name and know how to say it. And, and that, I think, is the biggest progression uh, by, by most broadcasters is you just, it flows off the tongue now. You don't go, what is that? Nedeljkovic. See, it was easier for me because I got to cover his first NHL start, which, and actually, interestingly enough, after looking a little nervous, in, at, maybe at the early beginnings, it was a couple of early touches with the puck that fed his confidence in that start and something he admitted to me in the postgame afterwards, like really helped him settle in. It's just so good handling the puck. It's such a big part of his game. And yeah, I'm not at all trying to dismiss it. Like first year, he's top 20 in the NHL adjusted numbers. That's impressive. Um, the other part of that, Darren, any team in the National Hockey League could have had this guy for nothing on waivers at the beginning of the season. And Carolina so expected to lose him that they claimed Anton Forsberg so they would have an insurance policy in place when they lost Ned, which they expected to happen, and created the whole, whole musical chairs of waiver wires just because they expected somebody else was going to take this kid. Nobody did, and now look what he's doing for them. He's been a massive part of their season, and he was a goalie they did not expect to have on their roster because they didn't have the cap space to carry three. They had to put somebody on waivers, and they figured they were going to lose him. So that's that's an aspect of this story that doesn't get told very often. I'm even retaliatory. I expected the Edmonton Oilers to pick him up, just like okay, you took Forsberg, we're taking Nedeljkovic and making sure we have a a three. Um, Oilers obviously with some some cap space issues of their own, but uh, like and quarantine, yeah, right? and the quarantine. But like still, like like honestly. The raw numbers are what they are, right? Was he a 942 right now? And every team in the league could have had him in a year where teams, many were carrying three anyways. Hot show. We've had uh, a lot from Woody on the Central Division nominee. Uh, there's only one thing missing. Do you know what that is? The Central Division nominee by Woody. <laughs> it's fast. Come, Come on. Like it's, no, he, it's he fast. Still has, he still hasn't told us. Re- who who he's so you picking gave him another from so you just division. give him an so you give Woody an opening for another five minute conversation well, here. Well, I just thought we should officially get the uh, get the nominee. He talked for eight minutes on on Carolina, who he's not even going to select. Yeah, okay, uh, so, okay. So it is Vasilevsky. Yeah, it's Vasilevsky, and I should I was I was I was trying to buy time while I googled the fact that Ned was not prohibitive either. Seven hundred and seventy seven hundred and thirty seven thousand dollar cap hit, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar salary. This was not a prohibitive contract for others to take. Well, he's made that a three horse race uh, with his play. So the North, uh, let's go there. And the Vesna Trophy uh, nominee coming out of the North, in your opinion, Woody, is um, Mike Smith. Um has to be Mike Smith. Uh, Thatcher Demko actually still has better numbers relative to environment on the season as a whole. Um, so if it's pure math, it's Thatcher Demko, uh, and the season obviously interrupted um, by COVID. Right when he was having, he was playing at a Vesna Trophy level. He was, you know, he's down to sort of fifth in the league right now. He was right up there with Andre Vasilevsky when the season shut down. So things have fallen off. He hasn't got as many games. 
And actually, as I say that, he's actually faced more shots and chances than Mike Smith has this season. But, you know, the numbers say Demko, but I still got to go with Mike Smith because of the impact on team. Those things matter. Um, Mike Smith had a bigger impact and they're going to be the second seed in the North Division and the Canucks are looking at potentially finishing seventh. So still think Demko might be the better goalie overall and he has been statistically, but it's hard to ignore the impact Mike Smith has had this season. And because it's this, I, I honestly believe this is not just a blip. I know the work he put in, as subtle as the changes may, may be, the work he put in with Adam Francilli in the offseason, as much as he doesn't want to talk about it, Mike Smith, that is, the work he put in with Dustin Schwartz, like his game, it's been interesting because he's sort of denied that it's much different. And yeah, he still lines up on the post and he plays deep and he's still Mike Smith, right? He's still a lot of battle. But his his second saves, his recovery, his post play, his move off, you know, recoveries from his knees, like he is no longer one and done and and sprawling. It is a totally different look at Mike Smith than what we saw in the past. I think it's repeatable. I'd definitely consider re-signing him if I was the Edmonton Oilers. This is Fountain of Youth might be a stretch, but this isn't just one good season for Mike Smith. See what the playoffs bring, but I think this is fully a repeatable thing and a change that's going to move forward with him. Uh, Hutch, when you talk about impact on the team, remember two and a half, three weeks into this campaign, Mike Smith was not playing, and the Edmonton Oilers got off to a very sluggish start. When he returned to the lineup, the Edmonton Oilers took off. Uh, your nominee for the North Division, Vesna. I also had Mike Smith written down, and uh, I guess the one thing that makes me wonder whether the voters would go with Mike if, if everybody adopts the Darren Millard plan and there's one nominee per division um i wonder if they would go with him simply because of the 28 games played or something like that right now it's a little bit on the low end um which tends to be a knock against guys i feel similar to what we saw last year when Vazi didn't have great numbers and still won the vesna whether the voters might go with connor hellebuck at 42 games played um even though you know um the thing that stands out there for me uh, is Laurent Brassois probably had an equally good year to Hellebuck, albeit with fewer games played. Um, so that's now, Hellebuck sort of, as the Resna, reigning Vesna Trophy winner. Does does do you think yeah. he gets the benefit of the? Well, benefit I think that's there? what I think that's what I mean. So, similar to Vasi, I think the two sort of go together. I think you you get the benefit of the doubt because you're you're the reigning champ, or or if you had been a recent nominee. So I I have a feeling if there was a vote for for all four divisions, Helly might pull it out. But uh, but yeah, I went with I went with Smitty as well. Woody, I just love something we could analyze a little bit later down the road. You talked about the changes Smitty's made, and you say he's no longer one and done. And a lot of people talk about, you know, how do you evaluate a goaltender? What is it you're looking for? For me, that's a huge piece. Um, is a goaltender able to make that second, that third say, whether they should or they shouldn't? And I don't mean in a scrambly way. Do they have that balance and support in their game that they can make that first save? And then the next one is, is relatively easy because they can move into position in a balanced, controlled way, not one and done. That would be a fascinating discussion to have somewhere down the road. That's exactly right there. The second saves are now, he makes them easy and he used to make them hard on himself. Everything was body first reaching, which opened him up. Now he's ma- he's actually staying over his knees, making a push, recovering to his posts. And he's still a massive body, right? And he's still got that fire and that battle. And there are times where, He's going to lunge and he's going to, because that's who Mike Smith is. And those are not, those shouldn't be negatives. 
But the fact is he's not doing it as much on the first save and he's not one save and then desperation. Like he, you know, there's, he's sliding around on his knees, like in a controlled manner most of the time. Um, the, the analogy I made, and it's one that might make, maybe this is why he doesn't want to talk about it. Um, the analogy I made in, in, in Vancouver here, when Roberto was here, they used to call it the Lou flop. And they hated it here in Vancouver because he would end up pitch forward on his belly and sprawl. And there were times when it was an actual taut thing. Like, hey, like if you're in a breakaway situation and you're getting extended out and that guy's going to tuck it to the post and you release forward with your, let your torso fall forward, your leg actually extends another two to three inches. Like that can be the extension you get on a, that's how you get that extra range of motion on a breakaway is by letting your torso fall. It frees up the hip. But the changes Mike's made in terms of with Adam, in terms of that mobility and that range, have him able to move without getting pitched forward as, as often as he used to. Because he used to end up in that situation a lot. And so the phrase I used to describe it, and, and okay, I'm going to give, there's a back pat here. This is gratuitous, but it was before the season on my show in Edmonton when we were talking about the work he'd done with Adam and then with Dustin. I was asked, how will we know if it's working? And the answer I gave was, if he's not on his belly as often as he used to be. And his, this is the phrase that probably may, would make him cringe. His belly flops per 60 has dropped dramatically this year compared to in the past. And it sounds derogatory. It's not meant that way. He is playing with so much more control over his edges right now. It's uh, it's just a, it's a massive difference, and he he probably doesn't even like that to hear that, but it is. There's a reason he went two years around 900, and now he's like he's about to become like I think the only the sixth or seventh goalie in history to be above 920 at the age of in a 38 year old season. He's 39 now, but it's his 38 year old season. Like that's remarkable, and it's not it's not where the trend was going for him. This is a concrete change that's led to this. This isn't just him discovering something or battling through, or as he likes to talk about, I'm more comfortable now um, knowing I'm not going to be the number one guy. Well, actually, you have been all season since you came back, right? Like, this is, there are physical, technical changes that anyone who understands the position can watch on the ice and juxtapose to last year and see the difference in his game. Rant over. I think that there should be there should be Woody dedicated music when he goes on one of these little winding journeys uh, of explanations that, that that Hutch, the the producer, not just not just Woody's producer, but the Ingold Radio producer as as a whole uh, as well. Uh, just on on Mike Smith, I talked to Dave Tippett on the Chirp Podcast, and we we discussed how the personality of that team. What well, while we all know it's skill. Uh, the the execution of the team, the personality of that team is really Mike Smith, and and they, if they, and very very rarely does a team take on the personality of the goaltender. But when they're playing their best, they have that personality of Mike Smith, and then the skill takes over from there. And they need that personality. They're a very I've been told um, from people in that room that that skill leadership side of things is very quiet. Like, it's a very quiet room. There are not a lot of rah-rah. Also, not like, sometimes it's very business-like at times. It's not 
fun. It's not char- like Mike Smith provides a lot of the energy to that team, which is why. Yes. And I asked Dave Tippett this this week at a time when other go- other franchises are using their third goalie. Vasilevsky didn't. Didn't. I don't even know if he went to Detroit. He didn't play a game or even dress for a game in the back to backs with Detroit this weekend. They just used. McElhenney and Gibson and gave Vasilevsky the weekend off. And I asked Dave if he would consider dressing Alex Daylock as his backup goalie just to give Mike a complete day off. And he said no, because the rhythm of being on the bench for one is something Mike craves. Like you, we know how like Mike is burns hot and competitive. He wants to be in there, right? Even when he's not yeah. playing. But also how much they rely on Mike for the temperature of the team and what he brings to that team. They can't afford to leave him in the press box. Now the risk is. What we saw last night, four goals on four shots for Miko Koskinen, and you got to bring Mike Smith in at age 39, cold off the bench a week before your playoffs start and risk an injury. The good news is, you know, few guys take care of themselves as well as Mike Smith. So you trust that he's done the work on that night off, knowing that it might not be a night off and he's not going to put himself at injury risk because he's not ready. Our feature interview this week is presented by Sense Arena. Sudarshan Maharaj, uh, Sudzi, the goaltending coach of the Anaheim Ducks. That's coming up. Also, our gear segment uh, brought to you by The Hockey Shop, a source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. Cam and Woody going to chat about the 12.2 line that's in store now. So uh, stick around for that. Uh, interesting, though, that uh, two, we have three unanimous choices out of the four divisions, and that's uh, Andre Vasilevsky, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Mike Smith. Two of the three have reinvented themselves to a certain extent from last year to this year. And because there's been tweaks to Mike Smith, you've gone over that, and Marc-Andre Fleury has changed his game. You've got a 36-year-old and a 39-year-old as two of our three unanimous choices out of the division. I, I, I don't know whether it's a one-off or because it's a, a shortened season and we won't have the 82 games, but uh, does, that, does that surprise the, either one of you guys. I hadn't thought of it that way, to be honest. I guess, I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise us because the position evolves constantly. And if you're not evolving with it, you get left behind. And we know that both of those guys, in different ways, Smitty in a fiery way, um, Flower in his like competitive but always having fun way, they, they're not going to be complacent, right? Like both of them made changes because they wanted to compete. They wanted to win. They still want to be the best. And I think it's a sign that, you know, whether it was Roberto Luongo who Marc-Andre Fleury passed this week, like those guys never rest on their laurels. They're always looking for ways to get better. And I went through that with Roberto, his career here, and watched him adapt to different coaches and different voices and adding RVH and all these different elements. Um, at no point was he ever complacent. And I think that would sort of be the theme that I, I think of when I think of Mike Smith and, and, and Marc-Andre Fleury as well. Yeah, and there's no, there's no substitute for experiences. There's something else we've talked about here. You can, you can learn all the skills, but if you can't read the game and if you can't adapt with the game, uh, you're not going to be successful. Uh, you might come in as a young goaltender and be, be on top of the league, but uh, much like third time through the batting order, a, a team can figure out a pitcher in a baseball game, uh, I think over the course of a career, people figure out goaltenders, and unless the goaltenders are able to be uh, adaptable themselves, they're not going to be successful. And here's some examples of some ultimately uh, experienced and adaptable uh, goaltenders. I mean, I, I, I guess you could say that it's uh, selecting for that because they we're just talking about the guys who are successful, but 
I think it's uh, a fascinating look at the evolution of, of the position as well. We, we often talk about how uh, shooters are now sort of learning some of our tricks and coming back with more deception in their game, more an understanding of what the goal, goaltenders are doing. And, uh, and now the position is evolving once again. And, and so here's uh, some of the most experienced guys in the game are, are leading the way. Mike Rosati, first full year as goaltending coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, working with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. And just to reiterate, the taking a chance to uh, just take stock uh, uh, of your game. Like Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't the goaltender that uh, the Vegas Golden Knights went with in the bubble, and Mike Smith lost his job in, in the bubble uh, off the start. And the two players came back and have put it to, to work and put it to good use. So if you're a goaltender right now, and you've gone through this crazy winter, and things haven't gone exactly your way. Uh, just take take those two players as motivation and as an example of what you could do. Put in the work now, and you, there's no guarantee that uh, that things are going to continue the way they did this past winter. You might be able to turn it around in a snap, just like Mark Andre Flory and and, and Mike Smith, uh, because I think that's that's a really good lesson in there somewhere, uh, Hutch, to just motivate people. I think it's a huge lesson for goaltenders at all levels. Take stock of what you are planning to do over the next four months. Here we are, you know, deep into the spring and the summer is ahead. Um, we're all, I hope, looking forward to, to more normal seasons in the fall. And uh, what's your plan? Where do you want to be when September comes around? And how do you intend to get there? If the answer is, oh, I'm going to go play some shinny with the guys. Uh, I, I think you're probably on the wrong track unless you're, you're looking for something to improve in your game, unless you have some specific goals about how you're going to change your game. Um, I, you know, I think you're going to be behind and, and I know it's incredibly hard right now because getting on the ice in, in a lot of places is still a huge challenge, but, uh, what sort of tools can you dig up in, in your bag to, to make some specific changes to your game so that you can adapt? Because shinny ain't the way to do it, is it? Yeah, the idea of just continuing to do the same thing and just hoping that it was an off year mm -hmm. is not the answer. You have to evolve. And Marc-Andre Fleury has. And he played more games because Robin Leonard uh, suffered the concussion. But Woody, we're talking about the third winningest goaltender in NHL history. There's only two people who have done it better than Marc-Andre Fleury over the course of his career when it comes to the National Hockey League regular season. And Martin Brodeur and Patrick Waugh. And then it's Marc-Andre Fleury uh, surpassing Roberto Luongo. And as Roberto Luongo said in a quote that he sent to us, couldn't think of a, you know, uh, there's nobody else in the league that he'd rather have do it just because of the person that Marc-Andre Fleury has been and remained throughout this. And I think, you know, we've had articles up on the site about just the importance for him of having fun, that character that uh, you can still compete, but if you're not having fun, like, you know, that, that's a big part of his game. and. Um, like honestly, when you see the performance level he's, he's at, at, at this age, like, it's not like he's done right now at third, right? Like I didn't know that anyone would have a shot at 551. He's definitely got that depending on the type of team he, you know, he plays on the rest of the way and who knows what happens beyond this year. But, um, and like he's having his best statistical season at 36. We're watching Mike Smith do it at 39, like three, four more years. Like if he could get three, four more years and if, and if we could get back to full seasons and, and he's on a good team, like 
I, I, Marty's out of reach. Like that seems impossible, yeah. but he could certainly catch Patrick and end up in second place all time. And I think back to I, Mark Andre was one of the first guys I covered way back when his rookie season. I remember being in the locker room in Vancouver and he'd given up four to Marcus Naslin and he was on his way to the world junior tournament later that I it was like later that week or like it was like one of his last starts before they were going to send him to the world juniors. And I remember having the conversation in the locker room because he'd given up four to Naslin and that was okay because Naslin also, I think at that time had the, one of the scoring records at the world juniors as well. So like there was no shame in, in Nazi was one of the best, best shooters in the league at that point with that wrist shot. So there's no shame in it. So to see where he's come from there and, you know, we talk about breaking these guys into putting them in good situations. Like people forget that was not a good situation for him as a, as a young number one overall pick, that was a bad Pittsburgh team he started with and he didn't allow it to break him where I think a lot of guys could have been ruined by some of those early experiences playing behind such a terrible team. And I think that mentality is part of why he survived it and and has gone on to become one of the best in the history of the game. Hutch, when you think of Marc-Andre Fleury, what comes to mind? I I, I will say this. I watched him play uh, a game against the Minnesota Wild the other day and the fun-loving Marc-Andre Fleury was replaced by, let's get this done, competitive, like uh, battling, uh, jostling with players. It, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Jordan Bennington going down the ice and challenging people to to scraps. But it was far more competitive than we necessarily would think from from Mark Andre Fleury. So there is that side to him. When things get tense, he gets right into the battle. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point Darren and I haven't had the privilege of uh meeting or covering Mark Andre the way the two of you have um but I think that's a great characterization and uh really talks about the traits that are important to be a goaltender have you got that have you got that battle have you got that commitment have you got that fiery um competitiveness and then can you balance it with the mindset that that lets you get through some tough times and of course we've seen him you know, we've seen him get angry. It's not like he's smiling 24 hours a day. It's not like he just comes to the rink and he's uh, he's that silly, relaxed kid on the team and and doesn't really care about anything. Um, it's a it's an absolute perfect balance and one that I have used with many young goaltenders as an example of how they should be. Um, I may have mentioned it on here before. I was on the ice one summer with a a major junior goaltender who was just getting angry and getting angry and getting angry. I said, "Hang on, who'd you tell me your favorite goalie was?" Oh, Marc-Andre Fleury. I said, okay, get back in there, do some more reps and smile. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Um, probably six, seven months later, I got a text message from him just saying, thank you. Thank you. That was, that was actually a huge moment for me. And I'm having a great season now because when things go rough, I start smiling. Um, what a, what a perfect. Now, you, did you, did you mention the, the major junior goaltender, uh, just to throw us off as uh, a cover when considering that that conversation was actually with Woody? <laughs> no definitely okay. that was just, not with woody just, i've told him to smile many times before he just gets more angry <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah yeah no that's it's no that's it's true. that's sort of you know when when the when the uh the scrapper out on the ice that agitator when you're getting angry and he just smiles and laughs at you and it makes you even more angry that, that's yeah. what happens to woody when you tell him to relax and smile well, two things uh, Flower has not done in his career. Uh, one score goal, and he is really been focused on it the last couple of years, but not to the point where he's just going to go do it uh, to, to uh, the adverse effect of, of the team. 
But the other one is a goalie fight. He's never had a goalie fight. Uh -huh. And and I thought maybe there was a chance the other night when things got nasty uh, against the Minnesota Wild, but it didn't come to to fruition. Oh, uh, one, I'm one not picking note. my I'm not picking my first ones against Cam Talbot. Thank you very much. Cam takes care <laughs> of himself in the gym. Yeah, that's not the first guy I'm going after. All right. Remember the the podcast episode with Cam Talbot talking about that? Like, there's there's all you're right. Uh, I never thought I wish I would have. Uh, the uh, the other part was yellow pads to start, gold pads now. Like there's there's a fashion uh, element to to Mark Andre Fleury. It kind of goes goes against the the grain a little bit. You see Saros with uh, with the yellow gold, whatever you want to call it. But uh, just uh, just a little bit on on Mark Andre Fleury and his his setup, uh, Hutch. What what do you think from from the entire career on through? It's been it's been pretty cool. Oh, it's been spectacular. We love it. I sorry, I just can't skip over though that bit about him wanting to score. Because did you both see Elvis Merzlikens this week? Yeah, bravest bravest player in the league. Just going over to Torch, say I'm going to do this. Uh, I want you to know because if I screw up, uh, I just want you to know that I'm going for it. Just told him. I just was really honest with him. I told him to not freak out if I'm going to mess up because there was bigger chance that I would mess up. But I didn't really care. Like I told him, I'm going to try to score. So just I just give him heads up that even if if I mess up and they tie it up and then we lose the game, to not. To not be mad at me, I mean, but that was the only focus what I had, just to score the game, uh, score the goal. I cleared, uh, I cleared all snow on the on the ice in front of me. I was just waiting for the moment. I just loved it. I it just was loved awesome, it. and yet I worry he may never play again. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that, that was one of my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's and that's pretty tricky. Was well, you know, we might get tied up and we might lose the game because of me. I, I'm sort of of a, if you're up by two, everybody should be passing to the goaltender so he can have a fire at, you know, at the other end of the ice. But, uh, man, up by one, that's a little bit tricky. Oh, so, hey, you guys want uh, yeah, a, you guys want a prediction? Moment. You guys mm -hmm. want a prediction? Mike Smith empty yep. net goal tomorrow night against Vancouver Saturday night. Okay. Travis Green has been pulling goalies like five, six minutes left. Um, and the Oilers were up. So Mike Smith, if, if Smitty's in net the first game instead of Koskinen, for sure he's getting a shot because they did it then. Then the next night they were up so far that they didn't bother to pull Thatcher Demko. But if it's a if it's a two goal game or a one goal game, they are pulling early in Vancouver, and I like Mike Smith's eyes must be like saucers because there's been a couple nights lately where they've had the goalie out with six six and a half minutes left down three, and opportunity will be there. Oh, let's get this is almost the moment it probably isn't we'll have to have it for another show this is almost the moment we got to get woody riled up because of that coach out there who loves to tell him oh just because no, no, mike no, smith no, can no. fire bombs at the other end have... doesn't mean he's a good puck handler should we should we get him going darren no no he refuses to bite <laughs> we won't bite what about uh flowers gold pads to to the yellow pad i love well them. i mean from I optometry an optometrist in the playoffs said that yellow's the, and that's when he went away from it. And we saw that trend. And I know some people hate it, but I mean, there are NHL goalie coaches that still force their guys away from, you know, solid edges and stuff like that, solid colored edges. Listen, I don't know if you guys remember, but I actually wrote on this when Flower first brought back the gold pads. I had a conversation with him in the locker room here in Vancouver for a story about this whole concept. And he was asking me questions because that was at the same time when Kerry had started wearing solid red for a little streak. And he was like, hey, like, I love Kerry's red pads. Do you think he's going to wear them more? 
Because at that point, and I have the quote somewhere, like, like Flower said, I love them, but I know I shouldn't, and I'm not sure if I'm going to wear them very much. Because he wasn't wearing them all the time back then, and now he is, and clearly it's not had a negative impact on him because he's having a great season. So, But we're just a couple years removed. That might have been, was that two years ago or even last season where the yellow pads weren't full-time and he was hesitant to make them full-time because of all these things about solid colors. He was actually asking me like, hey, what did Kerry say? Like, is he, is he going to go with this? Like, I love it. But there was hesitancy to take that step and clearly it's gone now. So here's the story on the gold pads. They were in the rotation two years ago, not last year, not the shortened season, the pause year, uh, the year before that. They were then retired, and they were about to be auctioned off as part of the foundation sale. And in, I don't know how much of a flat spot it was, but, uh, but Flower was uh, just uh, not, not rolling to the tune, and things were set out to be signed. Nate Schmidt. Now the Vancouver Canucks walked by the signing table, saw the pads on the table that were going to be auctioned off, grabbed them, and put them in Marc-Andre Fleury's locker and said, hey, you've, been, you've played great in these things. He'd never lost in them. Uh, he, he was just spot duty two years ago with them. Uh, but Nate said, you've never uh, you've played great in these things. Put them back in. And off the auction table, into his locker, wore them for a practice and played a game in them and won and got back, got his groove back. And since then, it's been the gold pads. Now, he's changed manufacturers, but he's, he's stayed with the gold pads. So Nate Schmidt actually gets credit for putting the gold pads and the, the fashion sense back into the rotation off the auction table. And he, for those wondering... He'd put one of his his game used masks in to replace the pads okay, in the auction, but uh, as as crazy as that is, I think, I'm not surprised. Like I said, there was hesitation. So like I'm, and yeah. it goes to show you, it all that matters is how you feel. Look good, feel good, play good, whatever it is for you. And I know some guys can't because the coaches won't let them. But if color is, if style, if fashion is what makes you feel good. If it puts the smile on your face, like Marc-Andre Fleury, there you go. That's all the answer. It's whatever makes you feel confident that matters. Uh, we have uh, some great news coming in uh, from Sense Arena, Sense Arena VR, in our feature interview. We'll talk about that uh, as we set up uh, Sudarshan Maharaj, the goaltending coach with the Anaheim Ducks, Sudzi. But right now it's the gear segment, and uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's uh, wearing true. And the True 12.2 line is now in store. I know we've talked about it uh, before, but uh, they have the hands on the merchandise. Uh, let's get over to Cam and company at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Great job over there as Woody and Cam chat about True 12.2. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports. I'm here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv, and Goalie Utopia just got a little bit brighter. Um, I know we've already talked about the new True line, uh, powered by Lefebvre a couple weeks ago. Uh, when they launched the customizer, let you know that you could order them uh, already from Cam. But at that time, we thought we might be a few months away from actually having inventory in store. Well, guess what? As you can see, we no longer have to Photoshop it in. Cam has his inventory, which means if you have questions about the new True line, 
He's got the 12.2 in stock. If you happen to be lucky enough like us to live in the lower mainland, you can come visit him in person at the hockey shop, Source for Sports here in Surrey. Get your hands on it. You know, check the flex, feel the glove, uh, feel the blocker, really get a feel for this gear. The other good thing is that means Cam's gotten a better feel for this gear. So if you're not blessed enough to be able to sort of come and check it out in person, He's better equipped to answer your questions. It's more than just a catalog. It's an actual real feel for him now. So mm -hmm. once again, the place to come if you've got questions about the true gear by Lefebvre, Cam Matwiv at the hockey shop. And let's just walk through it again really quickly here. Um, we highlighted some of the features before. Uh, let's show off a little bit of the, like for example, the flex and feel of the 12.2 pad. Yeah, so again, we have our two sample sets here. So just to iterate too as well. I have something for you to touch and hold. Right now, these are staying in the store though. They're not gonna be for sale at this current moment. Um, I should have some more general stock kind of arriving closer uh, to about September. That all said, back to the pad. So flexibility wise, start off with that boot because that's something that uh, basically everybody has said or mentioned since, uh, since we've had these in. Very, very flexible boot. Something more so than you've been used to in the past. The good news about that is, is that that'll really help you in a reverse V8 situation or even a VH situation that's helping you get over top of your pad and getting you better balance so you're able to catch that edge and push off as opposed to the pad shooting up your leg as you go to go do that. It's flexing with you, staying on the top of the, the boot of the skate and allowing you to kind of get over top. Yeah, and really important, especially if you're a goaltender that likes to wear their pads tight and really sort of fit firmly to the leg so that that pad is moving with your leg rather than around it. You can sort of maintain that tight connection in the bottom of the boot through the shin. And like as Cam said, that pad's still going to give you the flexibility at the bottom to sort of load up those pushes um, with the pad sort of staying in place rather than slide, having to slide around and move around your leg. So it'll move with your leg a little more. Some of the other features, pretty stiff. That's the thigh rise. Yes. So a couple different options as you're ordering custom. Uh, this one we set to single break but stiff upper top. Um, just kind of following more in line with the trends that uh, some of the other pads that are out on the wall. Um, quite stiff, but that gives you good rigidity and also will aid in the seal of the pad as you actually uh, are in down into the butterfly position. Okay, we talked about the new fast rotation system last time, but we couldn't really show it off other than some stock photos we had. Now we can. Open up the back of this pad. We do have the fast rotation system. So like I said, again, to me, like, it almost looks like a reverse knee brace. <laughs> it's, it's quite close. Um, that said, you do have that adjustability in terms of how tight you do want it. That said, even at its kind of loosest setting, it is fairly on the snug side of things and that's what it's supposed to do. Um, I found uh, even with like what I would consider bigger than your average calf, it still tends to sit right. It doesn't really have that ride up feature that uh, some of these pads do have now with that, like their different rotation systems and whatnot. Um, that said, great connection to the pad, great response out of the pad so far uh, in terms of initial feedback, plus even just messing around in the store myself. Um, definitely worth checking out. However, if you don't want it, you do have the ability to order with just two leather straps and then that would get deleted. But okay. you'd be kind of missing out on one of the cooler features. Really quick, gloves, blockers. Um, not much has changed in terms of the options that are available. I know you have two here in store to check out in terms of feel. Obviously, you can see by the way that pocket folds over. Clearly, I have a 580 on my hand. Uh, the other glove we have here, I'll let Cam close this one, is a 590, more of a straight line break. 
You can also order it in the 600. Those are kind of the traditional, you know, uh, break points that we saw when Lefebvre was making gear for CCM. To me, that feel and those break points are all kind of maintained here. That, that's correct. Yeah, this shouldn't feel like a departure if you're already used to, you know, those previous Lefebvre gloves uh, that have existed in the past. Um, you should find a comfortable home. Internals feel very, very close and identical. Um, same thing with that uh, 580 closure. Uh, again, 600 is available. Just didn't order it at this current time, but I believe we do have some coming in for that September date. Two well, different options for the blocker. I was going to say, well, the one you've got over on your side has some binding on it. This one is more of a bindingless design. What are some of the other options you can get with your blocker? That said, basically completely identical blockers beyond the binding itself. That straight versus curved finger protection. Curved is currently featured on this one uh, as well. Uh, I believe that one has it as well. Um, again, if you're used to those CCM blockers, used to those old previous Lefebvre blockers, this isn't going to feel too much different. You still have the option of the full piece cuff or the half piece cuff. Both of these have the full. Um, very easy to get the, the blocker in front of you um, to provide that good uh, face forward position. Um, again, that good familiar feeling gear. So if you're already used to it, here's your chance to get it again. Okay. so. As he said, if you're in the area, you can come by, check it out, get hands on and really give it a good feel. Um, if you're not, Cams can answer all your questions. There are different ordering options for custom. As he said, he'll have stock retail versions in store later on this summer. But for now, at least, you can get your hands on it. I know a lot of you have been waiting and Cam is better equipped even, even more than before to answer your questions. So make sure if you've got questions, where can they get a hold of you? 604-589-8299. And the 1-800 number for our U.S. client? 1-800-567-7790. Well done. He's got it memorized, folks. All right. Whether it's custom order, wait times now, like this this arrived faster than you expected? Or have we seen the wait times bump up if you're going full custom? Uh, give me a call. We'll talk about it. All right. We'll leave it at that, but there will be some more in store. The new True by Lefebvre. Uh, you've seen it in the NHL. Now you can get your hands on it in person here at the hockey shop. Thanks, Kevin. True 12.2. Kind of rhymes. I think we should keep it. Like 12.3 has to stay uh, on, on the uh, on the back burner for a while. 12.2 by True. Just just from announcer speak. Yeah, but then later think. on you'll say 12.3. It's the one for me. Oh, well, well done. Okay, 12.3 is back in. Let's go. Uh, let's 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 roll that off. Uh, true, twelve point two. Uh, they've uh, they've really taken hold. Um, not uh, we haven't seen that kind of uh, transition from the bubble last year, uh, right on through the dominance uh, by a manufacturer and the transition by a lot of goaltenders. Uh, this week uh, in our feature interview, brought to you by Sense Arena, Sense Arena VR. We have the goaltending coach of the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, uh, but before we get to Sudarshan Maharaj, a uh, good old Sudsy. We uh, have a lot going on with the uh, Sense Arena uh, skills competition and a lot happening with Sense Arena VR. Hutch. Absolutely. Big week for Sense Arena, uh, big week for InGoal, at least as a, a partner of theirs in support of what they're up to. Um, first thing I'll say is uh, Sunday, in a, in a day or two after we're recording this and, and po posting it, your shot at a great deal on Sense Arena will be shutting down. So you've got a couple more days to grab Sense Arena and get your annual license for 50% off. Obviously, that's a, that's a big, big savings there. A uh, great opportunity for people who want to get into Sense Arena. You've heard us talk about it 
on the show and many of our guests talk about it and it, it really is a game changer for goaltenders everywhere. Uh, so great chance to get involved and if you do, you can hop on board with the first Sensorina Skills Challenge which began this week and there's a different challenge for five weeks, each week a different challenge uh, that you can participate in and uh, they will be selecting a winner each week, the top score uh, from all the competitors and then Amongst those five weekly winners and 11 more people, they will have a final for 16 goaltenders. And the winner of the final will get a thousand bucks towards their training. Wow. So, yeah, it's huge. hundred bucks for each weekly winner and, and then a t-shirt as well for all the finalists. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You, you, you take on this uh, challenge, which shows up. I think we've talked here before how Sensorina has training plans. You put on the headset, you go into the training plan area and you can walk through uh, things that have been put together by, you know, Brian Decord, our, our guest on the podcast the other day. Um, Maria Mountain, who's a good friend of the show. Uh, lots of different um, programs in there, but one of them is the skills competition for the week. And it takes you through something like a dozen drills and uh, and then you get an overall score. And you can actually go to their web interface and see how you stack up. And a little over 100 people have taken advantage of it this week. Uh, there's also a social media component to increase your score if you're not maybe doing quite as well as you wanted to in the competition. Um, you can post some photos or videos. Uh, just a, a lot of fun to get involved with and see how you stack up against goaltenders all around the world. And and I'll say that, you know, if you're a younger goaltender, um, you can use Sense Arena and you can set it at your level so that you're facing shooters a little bit more like you're used to seeing on the ice. Uh, the skills competition, because they're trying to pick sort of the best of the best, uh, you're facing the best shooters that they have in these drills. Um, but what a fun way to see how you stack up against everybody. Wow. So how are you doing? I am uh, having a great time watching my son. Yeah, he's uh, he's enjoying it. I'm telling you, you the one week, I, you don't have to do all five weeks, but one week you and Woody have to square off and and go head to head. Just just not not for competition in the big picture, but competition within our group. Well, let's um, let's let's wait a week. Hutch has got let's a lot a on his plate right now. I got a oh, lot yeah, yeah, on no, my it, plate it could right be now. Any let's of the wait five a, weeks. Let's we're, we'll hop in there. We'll have uh, we'll have an in goal competition, and and maybe it'll be an expanded one as well. So we'll 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 get that going. I can't wait to see uh, uh, Sensorina VR incorporate the snapping a stick against the crossbar uh, for for Woody. Uh, that'll be the the Woody uh, element to it. Yeah, hopefully I do better than Miko Koskinen did last night after giving up four on four. Um, it took him two whacks. Never good when it takes you two whacks. Um, listen, there's another part to this sense arena thing too. Uh, if you're new to it or you haven't had a chance to join, there's a special. And that's actually the contest is running for five weeks. The special ends this week. Um, make sure you check out our social channels. We sent an email out to all our subscribers and, and members. Um, you can save 50% off the subscription price for those of you that actually have Oculus or Oculus 2 headsets already, so you don't need to buy the hardware, or you can just buy the the box and the attachments for gloves in terms of the extra hardware from Sense. Um, you can get the actual subscription service for a year for 50% off. And the code on that, Hutch, is IGM. Is, Help me uh, out posted, here. Is posted at ingolmag.com. If you go to our site, it's IGM off 50, I-G-M-O-F-F 50. Uh, but if you just go to ingolmag.com, top right, you'll see a, a link to the story that has all the details for you. A quick uh, question. Do you think Sense Arena will have an impact to help goaltenders stay on their edges more? 
when they transition to the ice. So you're, you're, you're going through the uh, exercises and a lot of times you, maybe you don't have the pads on while you're, where, you, where you're doing the, the BR. Uh, when you transition onto the ice, will you be more adept, uh, more apt to, to stay on your feet? Just, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I thought I'd ask the question. Certainly something you can experiment with a bit more in there. Yeah. I mean, if it's helping teach you patience off a release, then that is the very definition of holding your edges and being more patient. So I think it's certainly an aspect. Let me tell you, I wasn't planning on doing this today, but you guys reminded me of this. Not to go all overboard on sense, but uh, I got a direct message uh, on Twitter from a dad whose kid's been using it. Uh, Jason Holtvote. Oh, man, just probably butchered that. Jason, my Jason apologies. Jason Holtvote, yeah. Um, just wanted to send you a quick note. We, we bought Sensorina for our 13 year old son two months ago and he trains with it regularly. How hard, how far his hands and puck reading have come in the last two months is incredible. I see Sensorina being the largest advancement in goaltending maybe ever. You will see the consistency of goalies in the next years growing so much that there will be calls for smaller equipment and larger nets getting louder and louder. Scoring in the NHL will drop considerably in about five years as all these 12 and 15 year olds get there. Can't say enough about the difference it's uh, made in his game um, in terms of teaching how to read a shot. More It's helped him more than he ever could. Um, and, and he closed and saying, unfortunately, any goalie who isn't using this right now is getting behind. It's an absolute game changer. That's just un, unprovoked, unprompted. Someone needed to let me know uh, from a parent like the impact he's seen as, as Hutchison has told him it's a cheat code. Um, clearly other parents are seeing that impact as well. And like I said, you can use the IGM off 50 code right now to get half off uh, your subscription to sense arena. That is awesome to hear. What a, what a great, what a great testimonial for, for sense arena. Uh, also interesting next time the equipment gets reduced in size, um, just, uh, email Bob Tativa at sensearena.com and, uh, <laughs> he'll be the guy you can complain to when your pads get reduced to 10 inches in width. Uh, just speaking of parents, I know we got to get into this uh, feature interview in a second. Just a bug I'll put in your ears, guys, because because you did this for us last week, Darren. Um, we also got um, a message uh, through our DMs on Instagram from another parent, Ryan Shields, who said, I'm about to go on a road trip with my son. I need to know what's your pick for the top 10 podcast to listen to of your top 10 in-goal episodes. So, of course, we all think of the feature interview um, when yeah. we're picking our top 10. So we're not going to do it off the top of our head right now, but um, the feature interview is the thing we all relate to. So as we head into this one, guys, maybe we can have a little think for next week who some of your top ones are, and we can maybe put a little top 10 list for, for Ryan and the other parents hitting the road this summer. Episode good one, a- for sure. For, for get- sure, that, that was spectacular. I suffer from recency bias because I'm not that bright and I can't think that far, you know, like last week's tough for me. Uh, so the, one we're about, this week? the one we're about to listen to, <laughs> Sudsy is one of my favorite. Con- this is one of the best conversations I've had. Like I, you say like, that again, I know week. I say Isn't that a lot. That awesome. No, yeah. and Renee Debian was awesome last week too, and and obviously we had Brian Decord was great too. But there there are so many different elements that Sudsy touches on in this one that um like I use the words must listen. Let's be honest. We have mm-hmm. NHL goalie departments that tell us that they make in-goal radio must-listen for all their prospects. So I don't throw must-listen around. Well, okay, I throw it around a lot, but this one is legit in that, that must-listen category. Uh, I'll toss out the Jeremy Swayman uh, interview. I didn't know Jeremy Swayman from Adam. 
before you guys uh, talk to him and uh, and Woody that uh, that conversation uh, set the table and now we're watching Jeremy Swayman uh, in the National Hockey League. So these guys, little... I said next week. I said next week. Okay, sorry, we're we got distracted. Excited. All right, uh, I'll do it. So we have to have ten. Yeah, or maybe I can figure it because we all love all of them. I'm going to have to now use my math brain and go figure out if if Ryan. And his son listened to all 118 episodes of In Goal Radio. How far do they have to drive? Depends if they skip yeah. through the Woody rant. <laughs> yeah, they'll have to they, go, go around Lake Superior twice, and then you should be able to get through it. Next week, so that, let's, have, let's have three each next week to build three? Ryan a top nine anyway. Okay. I'm taking episode one, just so you know. Okay? We can live with that. Thank you. All right. Uh, this week's feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. Sensorina VR is uh, a guy that's uh, been around the game for a long time and had some incredible uh, experiences. And now he is the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks and uh, just went through the uh, roller coaster of uh, having to somewhat say goodbye to, uh, to one of his goaltenders. Not official yet until the end of the season, but uh, the announcement from Ryan Miller that uh, he's going to retire. Uh, Sudarshan Maharaj is the goalie coach of the Anaheim Ducks, uh, formerly with the New York Islanders, a Toronto area guy, and, uh, and, uh, but grew up in Trinidad, actually moved to, to Canada when he was uh, five, six years old. So there's, uh, there's a lot to get into, and never mind his European uh, experiences. Uh, this is a great one, uh, an awesome conversation about the technical side of the game, the mental side of the game, and the human part of uh, hockey and goaltending. Uh, Sudzi. Sudarshan Maharaj on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Really pleased to be welcomed on the In Goal Radio podcast by Sudarshan Maharaj, goaltending coach of the Anaheim Ducks. I almost said Mighty Ducks because the show's, I almost did because, you know, the show's back on. Um, at the end of a tough year for you guys, but I, we want to talk to you about your career, about your path, uh, coaching, playing, all those things. But I figured we'd start with sort of what's going on right now and a, and a goaltender that I grew to really love here in Vancouver and appreciated all my time getting to talk to him. Uh, Ryan Miller's going to hang it up after this year, and he's playing his last couple of games. What's, what's your, what jumps to mind from first from your time coaching Ryan Miller over the past few seasons in Anaheim? Well, first of all, how, thanks for having me uh, on the program. I, I, I've listened to quite a number of the episodes and enjoyed it. Um, the first would be the thing I, I think of when I think of Ryan is what a consummate professional he is. Uh, his routines for getting prepared for when he's playing, his routines for getting prepared for when he's not playing, um, for overcoming long periods of, of inactivity in terms of, of uh, backing up, you know, uh, John Gibson would, will sometimes run three or four games in a row, sometimes five. Um, and and watching and uh, being a part of Ryan's routine really was a great learning experience for me. Um, and also, uh, you know, I, I say to Ryan all the time, uh, I, I'm yes, I am his coach, but I'm also a fan of Ryan. And 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 I I really enjoy watching how he navigates through his seasons. And, um, and so this one in particular was, was really an enjoyable one in, in, in terms of um, it was such an odd, weird construction of a season that um, watching him uh, manipulate those twists and turns 
was really enjoyable. And, and again, you know, I, I like to, to say, I like to, as much as I coach my goalies, I like to learn from them as well. And, and there's been over the years, I've, I've learned quite a lot uh, from Ryan. I hope he can say the same for me. Is there anything that jumps out like from a philosophy standpoint for him? And I mean, he's kind of, he's been around long enough that he's touched different points in the evolution of the position. I remember talking to him about when he was younger, like there was a lot of extra movement in his game and how some of the, his early coaches in junior, you know, the idea of being square and, and to get some of that movement out. And yet even later in his career, he's still a goalie who talked about, you know, dictating a little bit, showing shooters one thing, sort of trying to, you know, almost influence what players were going to do attacking him in the way he presented to them. And that, I, I don't know if that's a lost art completely, but it feels like it's definitely a disappearing art. There's no question it is a disappearing art. And, and you'll hear him, he, he, referenced, he references setting traps all the time when you're, when you're, when you're speaking to Ryan. And, um, you know, in certain scenarios, uh, the other night, um, uh, you know, in, that, in his final home game there in Anaheim, um, uh, there was a, a play in particular where uh, one, of the, uh, one of the LA Kings came down and, and he, he went short side high. And it was like Ryan might as well have, have been standing there with a notebook behind the guy because he knew where it was going. And he just stuck his hand up, made the spectacular glove save. But it, to him, it was so easy because he had dictated um, where the play was going. Uh, so there's no question he he loves to uh, he loves the 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 uh, psychological element of that um, and and you know the positive of that is is that it really did allow him to uh, to as you said dictate a lot of the outcomes. Uh, the drawback to that is is uh, if it doesn't go to as as he scripted it, it can cause all kinds of issues. So uh, um, you know, and it it was fun to watch him as I said navigate through all of that. Now, with all that experience, like how do you, like you said, you're learning from him. Obviously, he's learning from you. Um, and you've got two other younger goaltenders there with you, especially this year with three guys around, Anthony Stollers, John Gibson, all an all-American trio. Um, how much like learning off of a guy like him can they do? Or do you have to be careful because so much of what he does, you know, for lack of a better term, is almost innate. It's a learned thing that he's done over his career. And I don't know how much of that is teachable or translatable, but do you see it? Do you see some of it sort of start to, you know, those habits start to get picked up by the other guys and how do you navigate in between those things? Oh, for sure. You know, um, we were doing, um, Ryan every once in a while loves to do breakaways just to stay sharp at the end of practice. And, um, and Anthony was in that, uh, for one of those sessions and he was struggling a particular day with it. And, uh, and Ryan came over and, and the three of us stood there and Ryan said, you know, here's how I handle mine. And, and I said, well, here's what I'm seeing. And Anthony sort of took the best out of the both things that we were presenting to him, uh, went back in the net and, and flushed it out, you know? And, uh, and so there's a wealth of experience there. I know, I know at times there'll be a goal when it uh, will go in uh, Gibson the other day, let one in. And, and uh, there were a couple of choices he could have made on it. And he, he walked over to Ryan as I was entering the dressing room after the game and the two of them were talking over the goal. And, uh, and so there's no question the other goaltenders um, would, would often go to Ryan as well and say, Hey, what do you think of this? What, what do you thought I, I could have done on that goal? And so um, there's no question that both Anthony and, and John uh, both uh, rely on that experience from time to time. 
Now, what about yourself in terms of philosophies? And I was going to save philosophies for later, but it seems like a perfect time to sort of talk about it. Um, in terms of that, those discussions you just described, I love the way you set that up. Like it's a back and forth. It's a give and take. It's a learning process as opposed to, you know, this is the way we're doing it and dictating. More teaching than telling, I guess, it would be one way of putting it. And I know that's a big part of your philosophy. And yet there are probably times where you have to go the other way. Like, hey, listen, this way is better. We've got the proof. Where's your philosophy on that? How has it evolved over the years? How much of this is the back and forth? And how much is it knowing when that there are some things that that are sort of hard and fast rules? You know, it, um, there was a time when I, when I came in, to, entered the league, <laughs> way back in 03. Um, the, um, there was a, 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 a trend at that point towards the blocking goalies. And there were some very definitive hard and fast rules about how you were playing at that time. And I, I came in, uh, I joined the Islanders then, and I had um, a, a six foot five, you know, elderly goalie in Gar Snow, a, a five foot, you know, six, five foot seven guy in Wade Dubowitz, and, and a 22 year old or 21 year old Rick DiPietro, um, all vastly different goaltenders, vastly different in size, in attitude, in, in work ethic, in, in thought processes, everything. I mean, you couldn't find three more polar opposites than those three guys. And I remember standing there thinking, okay, how are we going to play this out? And, uh, and I had always been a believer that one size doesn't fit all, that there, there are certain things that you have to do well. All NHL goalies in my mind have, mind have to be good skaters. End of story. Um, can you work around that? Sure, there are there are different levels of skating of, of NHL goalies. You know, um, there are certain guys that aren't particularly great skaters that have had very good careers. Um, so, from my my in terms of my philosophy is, I'm a firm believer that you have to find the strengths of each guy and build upon those strengths because that's those are the things that give those guys confidence when they're they're the thing the things that they do naturally and they do well are often the thing that um is a part of their mojo as a as a big blues music guy i i, I always i always feel that every goalie has their own fingerprint and and that's their own that's their mojo and if you attack or you change that then you run you run the risk of of derailing your own goaltender um and so for me, there's a, a real process where I will study that new goaltender that, that we brought in. I'll give an example, a real life example in Anthony Stolarz, you know, um, looking at going back and watching video of Anthony in Philadelphia, going back and watching video of Anthony in Edmonton, um, watching him through the American League last year. There were some definitive things that I had, some images that I had of Anthony in my mind of what I thought we could work on and what we we could improve. But more importantly, I had to hear what Anthony's vision was. Um, and once we sort of sat down and, and went over that, I flew to, I flew to, to uh, uh, Philadelphia and met him in Philadelphia when we signed up. And we went out for lunch and I, and I, and I sort of listened to his view of his career and, and, and his game. And then I told him what I saw and what I felt were the areas that I thought we could we could help him 
uh, work towards. Um, and then sort of together mesh that um, into an image that, that worked for both of us. Um, that being said, sometimes as a coach, you know, you hear things and you think, mm, I don't know how correct that is. I'm seeing it this way. But in the end, goals are the ultimate teachers, right? And so um, if you leave it long enough <laughs> in practice uh, or in games, um, sometimes when those goals go in, there's your opportunity, there's your teachable moment. Um, and so I like to work on that format. Uh, it's not immediate sometimes. It's not uh, draconian by any sense. Um, but it is, uh, and there is for me a really important uh, element of making sure that the guys have ownership in the development of their own game. Are there any non-negotiables in there? I didn't actually, maybe you don't want to share, but are there certain things where it's just, we got to oh, have there's this? No, there's no question. Um, I am fanatical about our goalie's hands. I'm fanatical about it. I, I can't, I, it drives me absolutely around the bend when I have goalies that drop pucks um, or don't get their hands active enough. Um, in in, in, in terms of uh, not just catching pucks, but in utilizing their hands to make sure that their rebound control is, is maximized. So I, I am, uh, that is the one finicky part of, of my, my style that I like to, to, to develop is that I like our, our guys to have good hands. That being said, I'm also big on, on goalies that are good skaters. I mean, especially the way the game's going now, eh? there's so much East-West. If you can't move in today's game, I'm not sure you can play anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, you talked about hands, and you shared a story with me a while back, um, just casually chit-chatting, so I hope it's okay if I introduce this. And you just cut me off, and we'll, we'll ask Hutch to edit this if we need be. But if it's okay, you told me a story about having some European goaltenders in camp and 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 just going out, and we talk about physical literacy and hands and things, and just... I can't remember it was a baseball or a football, but you guys just went out and threw a ball around. Can you, is that okay to share that story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had, uh, we drafted over the last few years, we've drafted three European goaltenders, a Swede, a Czech and a Slovak. Um, and during uh, development camps, I was, I was taken aback by uh, A, their hand positions, but B, just uh, the fact that they, they didn't utilize their hands to their, to the maximum. Um, and, and so, um, after every practice in particular, one of the goaltenders, um, I would, <laughs> I would take them out into the parking lot and, uh, and I bought baseball gloves for all three of them. And, um, and I would take this one in particular and, um, uh, we would go play grounders outside, um, and insist on him handling grounders. Then I'd insist on him catching, you know, uh, uh, just a, a regular throw. Then I insist on him catching crossbody. Then I insist on him catching pop flies, and um, with the uh, pure intent that it uh, freed up his catcher. Um, he didn't. He didn't hold it and carry it as far back as he had when we drafted him. Um, and he became more nimble with his hands. He was able to manipulate his his hands so that he could change the angle of the pocket, um, so that he wasn't getting as many pucks in his palm. He was getting more in his pocket because, you know, a, a back catcher wouldn't survive if he didn't catch everything in his pocket, as many in his pocket as he, as he could. So I want our guys to, to, to develop those nimble hands almost like a, a, a back catcher. And then 
you know, eventually once we got the three guys out there playing uh, 500, the old baseball game, 500, you have to catch the pop flies. Um, they also learned about uh, timing of catches and things like that. Um, and then uh, our, our, our uh, um, assistant uh, equipment guy used to work for a, a, a minor league baseball team and could hit grounders for about three and a half days straight without breaking a sweat. And, uh, and so we took them out into the field. Our, our equipment guy hammered grounders and they chased them all over the field and had, and had, a, had a hoot doing it. And, uh, and so um, it, was a, it was a great lesson for the three of them. Uh, and we had a lot of fun and it broke up the monotony of, of uh, sticking them on the ice and shooting pucks at them. Well, it's funny because, I mean, there's obviously the, just the raw natural eye-hand coordination element to that. And like you said, you have to catch it in the pocket there. Yeah. But is there also sort of, and I, I may have been Dusty Yimu, I remember telling me about this because he's big on hands and catching too, but that it's sort of cradling it. The, the, the idea that you don't just stick it out there to catch, mm-hmm. that there's sort of, and w- with baseball and especially with grounders, I mean, as a guy who grew up playing ball myself, like that, you know, that sort of short hop as a shortstop, sort of like not just sticking it out there to block it, but sort of almost cradling it and cushing it into you and sort of staying on top of it like that. Is there their correlation there? Like not just that you oh, get absolutely. it in the pocket, but how you catch. Absolutely. And, and it, it, it's, it's part and parcel of the, the fact that the hands don't work independent of the body. The hands work in unison with the body. Um, and so that idea of cradling a, a, a grounder is, is not very far off the idea of, of moving into a shot, of, of absorbing, you know, a rocket of a slap shot um, by, by, by the way that you adjust your hands. Um, and so for sure, uh, any type of kinesthetic, any type of kinesthetic, any type of, of kinesthetic awareness like that, I think is, is a huge, a huge element. Now, the other element you talked about with Anthony was his vision of his game and your vision of his game and that communication is, is part of it building a common language and dictionary because so many guys use different phrases over the years. Is it having that sit down and making sure that when you use the words you're both describing the same thing. Do you have, like, is that part of the process with a new guy and making sure you're on the same page? Absolutely. And, and one of the things uh, that has happened over the years um, is we have overcomplicated. My belief is we've overcomplicated goaltending. Um, we've created these absolutely outlandish phrases for simple maneuvers. <laughs> and, and, and so um one of the things, I, the nicest compliment any goaltender has ever paid to me was Jason LaBarbera. And I was his, I, I, we had him when I was the development guy and we had him in San Diego. And uh, I was his 14th goalie coach in 15 years. And, and so he had heard it all. He had heard every, every terminology, every philosophy, every, all of it. And one day we were in practice and he turned to me and he said, my God, says, you teach the simplest goal of any coach I've ever had you just you make it sound so simple and and I thought okay that was a nice compliment that was a compliment because um I've really over the years tried to strip down how I teach and what I teach to the simplest elements um and and the, the game has gotten so fast complicating it is counterproductive and counterintuitive to what we're trying to achieve. And, and so um, there's no question. Uh, I, 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 once we get speaking about things, um, 
none of us in Anaheim, any of the goalies, will use anything more complicated than an RVH. That'll be it. There's no zone of proximal disfiguration or whatever in these, these terms that come up where the puck is six inches to the right, so it entered the zone of proximal mind bend. Um, that stuff doesn't exist. That, that is just done to make ourselves look smart. Um, and in reality, it's actually complicated things. And so um, we, we, we really uh, focus on, in this scenario, this is what we're trying to do. If we are trying to, to influence a player, we're doing it this way. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's all very, we try to keep it as simple and as straightforward as possible. Um, you know, when you look, there was a, a great book written a few years ago um, called The Physics of Ice Hockey. And, um, and it was fantastic. It was, it was by a pro university professor. I think it was University of New Brunswick, if I'm not mistaken, um, or Physics of Hockey, I think it was. And, uh, and he, he went over certain things. And one of, the, one of the chapters, he looked at how quickly a goaltender must, um, must react to a shot from, you know, from, from just inside the blue line. And, you know, you're looking at, it's down to point. So 0.2 seconds, 0.4 seconds things like that, when he literally has to read the play and begin to react. My, in my mind, as goaltending coaches, we have created more haze there because we've started to put these terms and these ideas and, and these philosophies into play instead of focusing on doing what we need to do, and that is to simplify in those scenarios. Um, and so... Um, uh, we, we very much um, when we when we speak we use very simple terms and we and we keep the the concepts a b c you know and and work from there well i apologize for that and sometimes we got to come up with terms to sell the magazine here sadzi so <laughs> Um, but, uh, it, it is interesting to hear you say that. Cause do you see, like you see young goalies coming in and almost to the point where with all that information, it, it, you can almost see the hamster and the wheel spinning up there. And the, and I always like to quote the phrase from top gun, which makes me old, but if you think out there, you're dead. Do you see kids coming mm -hmm. in overthinking? Exactly. And, um, one of my, I, I remember when the RVH started to become a really popular thing. You know, uh, you'd see a player coming down the way, and I, and I still see this. I scout still for the duck, so, so I see a lot of, of, of the amateur goalies. And, you know, you see a guy coming down the wing, and you can see the goaltender cheating to his post so he can plant his foot so he can start the RVH process. Well, the guy's at the top of the circle, <laughs> and, and it drifts one far side and, and, and beats him top shelf, and the, the kids left there standing going, what, what, what went wrong? You know, and uh, and so sometimes uh, when we teach technique, we don't teach um, the the uh, proper utilization of those techniques, and and uh, that to me is an issue. I think in order for you, in order for the, for us to do favors for our goaltenders, we have to they have to understand why they're doing it, uh, not just how to do it. Um, they need to understand the, the the utilization, the proper utilization, and the and the, and the proper and have a, a real sound understanding of, of when and when not to, um, based on their skill set, as, as opposed to a genetic, well, you never do it here. Well, it may work for some guys here, you know? So it's a matter of finding where that sweet spot is for each guy, where you can utilize it and others that can't. 
That's the beauty of this position. That's why I love it, right? There is no one answer. There is no one size fits all answer for anything really in this position. Exactly. Okay. So speaking, I want to, so I want to get back into the roots a little bit. Like how'd you, how'd you become a goaltender? I know you're originally parents are from and emigrated from uh, Trinidad and Tobago, introduced to the game at a young age, end up going and playing York university, if I'm correct. And then Sweden. So how'd you fall in love with the game first? What, what drew you a to hockey and B to B to goaltending? You know, um, I'm old enough. I'm old enough to, to, to predate the internet. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, you, you, what was, what was the thing that Canadian kids did on Wednesday night and Saturday nights when I was a kid, you watch hockey night in Canada and, um, and um, you, you went out and you played, street hockey and you know um and and my my older brother uh absolutely loved bernie perrant absolutely loved bernie perrant and uh and so uh um i had to be a goalie because he told me so <laughs> and i had to play like bernie perrant and um and you know so you joined the I joined the local house league you know playing ball hockey on the street with the with the kids as a goalie uh, and and fell in love with the with the position and and uh, I was also a goaltender in lacrosse for a lot of years and had wanted to be a pro lacrosse goalie before I wanted really? to be a pro NHL goalie and and when I was about thirteen uh, pro lacrosse in Canada had had faded had had gone away and so at that point I thought well I guess I have to be a pro uh, pro hockey goalie then <laughs> because they didn't have pro lacrosse but I was playing at the same time I was playing both at the same time just happened to love lacrosse more at that time. Um, and, and then eventually obviously, uh, continued on from there. We've heard, uh, players over the years. I know like guys like John Tavares have talked about, you know, he's got family that played lacrosse, you know, playing lacrosse growing up and the, the hands and the eye hand coordination and how important that is to their skill sets as young athletes. Is there any tie, any tie in for the goaltenders? I haven't, I'll be honest with you. I haven't watched enough. Like it's such a different game. I've never thought about that from a goaltending standpoint. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know the upper body equipment is huge and that little ball must hurt like crazy, but beyond that, can you just, is it the eye hand? Is there anything else that ties in? You think? Well, the funny part is, is I I would almost break my hand at the start of every season because I'd actually try to catch the ball and you couldn't (laughs) wear players gloves. And so (laughs) I'd almost break my hand first practice of every season. Um, But um, it really helped my tracking, my visual tracking, because the velocity that those, you know, that the, the, the lacrosse ball is coming at compared to as a kid, you know, a, a slap shot and, and a white lacrosse ball at that. Um, so you, your eyes really, uh, you, you learn to track very well as a lacrosse goalie. Stylistically, there are vast differences in all those things, excuse me. <laughs> but, um, but in terms of tracking, it, it was a, it was massively helpful. Uh, and then, you know, funny enough, uh, watching David Riddick's um, warm-up where he takes the two shots in the head um, <laughs> at the end of the morning skate, that is an actual drill for lacrosse goalies because um, what you can't do as a lacrosse goalie is you can't blink when uh, you're about to get hit in the head because of lacrosse fakes. A uh, guy fakes. If you blink, he fakes and he shoots it around you. So you can't ever blink as a ball is coming towards your head, you have to watch it come into your head um, in case as a lead up because of fakes. Um, so it, you, little things like that were, were massively helpful. 
Oh, the visual, especially. So 13, you said you made that decision. At what point as you, you know, that road from 13 to playing university hockey to I'm going to play pro, like, you know, any goalie coaching back then? Because I don't think there really were, you know, there wasn't a lot of active goalie coaching. Clearly the position has changed so much now. Everybody's got a goalie coach at age eight and up. Um, what was your experiences with learning? Was it just watching Bernie Perrant on TV and picking up idiosyncrasies there? Did you have any mentors at an early age? No, we had none. I had, I had an old dog-eared, dog-eared copy of Jacques Plante's uh, goaltending manual, um, which, which uh, you know, went out of print, I think, in about 1902. But it, it, was, uh, um, it was something. And, and, you know, I, I, I had, the, I, you know, I literally dog-eared every page of that manual. Um, I, uh, I went to one goalie school later on, I think maybe when I was, maybe when I was about 16, uh, was the first one I'd ever gone to. Uh, my parents weren't, weren't particularly uh, well-to-do. And so uh, money wasn't something that, that we threw around lightly. And, and, you know, A, there weren't any goalie schools. And B, when they did, when hockey schools and goalie coaching did start, we certainly didn't have money to to take part in all of that. So, uh, watching, uh, listening, uh, and learning through experience were the were the the, the three ways that you uh, um, the ways that you learned, you know. And and I I I wished, I really wished I had access that that, that these kids have uh, to coaching um, now. Uh, because it, it's it's wonderful some of the, uh, the a lot of the resources that these kids have positively and and unfortunately I think as we see um, what's going on uh, around the, the world with goalie coaching there's some positive elements to that and there are some negative elements to that you know um, there there are some things that I think that are are I, I you know you walk through hockey camps uh, or through arenas and you see different hockey schools and sometimes you cringe because some of the things that you see you know aren't helping the kids. You know, um, and and that's not to say that I, I I will ever claim to have all the answers because I certainly don't. Um, but I can tell you, I know certain things that don't work, and and it, it you cringe sometimes when you walk by and, and see some of those camps and you see some of the things that were being taught out there, and you think, oh, that's not going to help that kid, that young lad or that young girl. You know. Do you worry at all too about? You know, it's funny because you talked about. I mean, these are drafted prospects, and you're buying baseball gloves and taking them out in the yard for grounders. And yet here we are at very young ages, you know, goalies are just goalies sometimes at, you know, 10, 11, 12, almost year round. And they're not playing baseball and they're not, you know, all these things that uh, you're trying to add at, at, at NHL prospect level. And it feels sometimes and not all the time, but it feels like sometimes we're taking away those opportunities from kids because they feel like they'll miss out if they're not in goalie camp and spring hockey and, and all those different things every single year at a young age. Absolutely. I mean, there, you know, other than, I mean, there's a simple burnout element of, of things, you know, you're, you're doing the same thing from the age of six to into your, you know, to, to 19, there can be a burnout element. Um, there's no question I, there. You talk to a sports psychologists, you, you, you see uh, different sports uh, physiologists, things like that. And they all talk about transference and the, the beautiful element of, of teaching, of learning another sport. So you improve at a different sport. You know, um, Gretzky always talked about, he learned how to roll off checks because he played lacrosse. So he, he learned how to spin off checks because of lacrosse. 
um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm of that vintage where Adam Oates and, and, and uh, uh, Joe Noondike all played lacrosse at the same time that I did. And, and you see the hand-eye coordination that it developed in those guys. You, of the, some of the teams that I played with, um, we had a number of guys that went on to have decent hockey careers, uh, but we also had a number of guys that went on to do other sports, one of whom was, went on to play in the NFL. Um, some of them went on to, to play baseball and, uh, for, at high levels. And so um, there's no question, I think, that, uh, miss, that we are missing out a little bit on that transference, for sure. Now, some of them went on to, to NFL. Some of them went on to play pro hockey in Sweden. Where did, uh, how did that come about, the opportunity for you to go from York to Sweden? Were there other pro opportunities over here? And what was the experiences like over there? And like six years pro, it wasn't a short stay for you. You were over there for a while. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I knew uh, from a very young age, I don't think I am good enough to play in the NHL. Once I got to a certain age, I thought, you know what? There are guys that are better than I am. And these guys are going to play in the NHL, but I think I'm good enough to play in Europe um, in certain areas and, and got an opportunity um, literally uh, hunted around back then. You didn't have agents in, in all those things and hunted around with some European teams ended up by luck um, finding a guy in Norway who knew somebody in Sweden who was looking for a, a goaltender uh, flew over to Sweden, sat on my hockey bag till they came to get me at the airport uh, went, uh, I went on a two week tryout basically, uh, after a week, they offered me a contract, flew home, got my work visa, and then, uh, um, ended up changing teams a few times, but, but stayed in Sweden for six years and absolutely loved it. Um, to this day, uh, all, we have quite a number of Swedes in Anaheim and, um, to this day, none of the Swedish players speak to me in English. They all speak to me in Swedish. Um, I heard, so I heard uh, you speak it. That could be an advantage in the recruiting process these days. There's a lot of Swedish goaltenders. Absolutely. And, uh, um, you know, we, when, I, when I was with the Islanders, we drafted Anders Nielsen. And, uh, and we barely ever spoke in English to each other. Um, we currently have Ole Eriksson uh, who's a Swedish goaltender, playing in San Diego uh, with our farm team. Again, we'll, quite often we'll, we'll, our conversations will be in Swedish. Um, and so uh, it, was a, it was, not only was it a great um, hockey experience, it was a great life experience. I was 21 years old. Um, you know, from a, a conservative Trinidadian background, and suddenly here I am in this in this incredible uh, socialist country um, in Sweden. And uh, you know, it's funny here in North America, the word socialism is is a taboo in certain places. And and yet, if you actually see a country like Sweden or the Scandinavian countries in general, how they operate, it's 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 you know, it's fine tuned machinery in a lot of areas. Um, with that. So, so politically, socially, um, uh, and from a, a life experience, um, it was a fantastic opportunity. Now it's, um, I, I'm a little jealous because, uh, Thomas Magnuson has a podcast that I always wish there was a translation available for, um, the, the head of the Swedish Federation, cause I'd like to be able to listen in. You can listen in on that. They, they've done such a good job from a development standpoint in terms of, you know, programs to build out. I love that they're their goalie programs are not about just focusing on the elite athletes, but about creating more goalie coaches at youth levels. And I like, I love that approach. I know they do a lot of webinars and seminars and stuff. Are you able to like, just, you could actually tune in and listen to those. I, I like, I'm jealous because I would like to tune in and listen to those, but I don't you understand know, a word. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny. Um, once it, it, depending on where the person's from, just like North America, there are certain I, I, accents and dialects. 
um, Hampus Lindholm, who plays for us uh, in Anaheim, is from is from southern Sweden, which has a very, very strong dialect. Whereas um, we have a couple of players that are from northern Sweden who also have a different type of dialect. So sometimes when they get going, it my head spins. I, I can't quite follow along. Um, so, you know, and, and of course, the, the guys, Raquel and some of the other guys will and Silverberg and those guys will get a good laugh out of it because they have trouble understanding them, too. So I don't feel so bad. So you come back from Sweden and you don't come back to a career in goalie coaching right away. You came back and did some teaching. Um, that experience as a teacher and, and, and the work you've put in to become a teacher and that career. And also, as I understand it, so you work with some kids who were in challenging situations. Um, how do you think that benefited you? And I actually don't even mean to put it that way, but how do those experiences help form who you are as a goaltending coach? Because I think sometimes there can be for some guys a difference between coach and teacher. Like teaching is not like teaching is not something everyone does naturally. It's something that you can learn. There are ways to teach. Absolutely. And I wonder, yeah, those two worlds. Yeah, you know, um, it was uh, going through the process of teachers college. Um, there were some great elements to teachers college, and, and yeah, there there were some things that that were from a from a theoretical standpoint were were uh, great uh, things that I could transfer into into coaching. Um, I, I started teaching uh, in the fourth grade. Uh, then I, I started to teach uh, middle school uh, behavior classes. And I became an itinerant behavior con, uh, consultant for the, the uh, Toronto District School Board. Um, and so we were working with, uh, we had uh, 35 uh, schools that we oversaw. And we worked with kids from grades uh, one through eight um, with uh, behavioral difficulties. And then we also had a learning center where we had kids uh, from grades five through eight um, that had more difficulties uh, with their behavior. So we would bring them in on a temporary basis for an eight-week basis. Uh, eight week period where we, we would try to give them the strategies to, to survive in, in, in a regular classroom. But we also uh, worked with kids in youth detention and gangs and tried to get them back into school. Um, and uh, at that time, the Ontario government um, had slashed uh, a lot of, of resources to education. So, so there were a lot of kids that were in uh, mental institutions and, and uh, treatment facilities that were being put back into regular classrooms while all the resources were taken away. So it was a, a really chaotic um, period of time. Uh, and all the while watching these political commercials talking about how they were making education better, which was hilarious. Um, but um, it was, uh, and you know, it really, uh, it, I, I think the simple answer to that question, uh, Kevin, is that I learned to never what it truly means to not judge a book by, a, by its cover. And, and people do what they do for a reason. And, and I've really transferred that into my coaching and try to, to look beneath the surface of why that particular goaltender is acting or responding the way that they're acting or responding. Um, you know, I've, used, I've told this story several times, um, but there was one incident in particular where I had a, a, a young a girl who was in the fifth grade who was, coming to school every day without her homework um, done. And the teacher would, you know, would sanction her and no recesses and lunches and, you know, punish her for, for that. And next day, same thing. And I, I, I ended up testing her. There were no academic difficulties at all. And yet 
same process every day. And so I, I, because I was working quite closely with a number of gang members, I, I said to one of my gang guys, hey, what's going on with such and such's family? You know this family? And, and she said, unfortunately, yes. Or this young lad said, yeah. Uh, mom, unfortunately, was a, was a prostitute and was bringing the, the Johns into the apartment at night. Well, this little girl was so afraid she'd hide in her closet every night because she was afraid of these strange men coming in. So she would never get her homework done because she fell asleep in the closet every night. Well, that's a horrible story. But it answered the question. I, you know, here she is going to school, getting absolutely pounded for not having her homework done. Well, I'll tell you, homework's the last thing on that little girl's mind. And so um, as horrible as that story was, it taught you that you couldn't just assume that this kid was a problem. And she just didn't want to do her thing. There was something there, you know. And and so you, I had a myriad of stories like that, unfortunately, that that I had to deal with. And and I remember stepping back, going, "Wow, there's a life lesson. There's a lesson. You don't you don't you don't look at the surface and draw conclusions. You look beneath the surface. And uh, and that one was a was a really really important one for me as a as a coach and as a as a teacher. Does that go into the importance of building relationships with net? Like obviously a totally different level, but not just being a coach, but building relationships with these guys, the conversations, like you said, flying to see Anthony and really understanding him as a goaltender, but also I'm guessing as a person and Absolutely. building. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, what's that old saying? We don't, uh, I, I say it all the time. We don't, I don't coach, I don't coach goalies. I coach people. Um, and, and, what happens in that person's life has a direct impact on their game, you know? And so if I'm not, if I'm not aware, then I'm not really truly coaching them because I'm not helping them with all of their issues. Because, you know, if, if, uh, if this one of my goaltenders wives leaves them and, and is gone, well, I can work on his, rebound control all I want, <laughs> but I'm not going to get to a root of the problem. Um, and so being able to being able to, to have these guys talk to you and, and vent to you and, and, and uh, uh, celebrate with you um, is, is a, a, a fantastic, a fantastic thing, both a, from a relationship point of view and B from a coaching point of view. Do you ever get like, I often hear, and sometimes we hear it in the coaching world, not just goalie coaching, but at all different ways, like that line, like between building that relationship, but still being the one that sometimes has to maybe in some cases be the hard ass or mm -hmm. insist that like, hey, like it's work time to put the boots on um, yes. the, the ability to still have that relationship on both ends of things, how important, like, how do you, how do you find that line with each guy? Or does there even need to be a line as long as you maintain that authority on the other side of it? The, and you just said it there, 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 there has to be an understanding of the fact that you are in a position of authority with those, with, with those guys. And let, you know, let's not, let's not <laughs> kid ourselves. You know, these guys are making millions of dollars and, and, and stars uh, have carry a wield a lot of power. Um, but to me, when you have that relationship with that athlete, um, you, you 
to me, that gives you more power to drop the hammer because then they know that, hey, he's not messing around and he's doing this for, he's doing this for my good. He's not just doing this out of some random power trip, you know? And, and again, a lot of times when I, when I do have to, to do that, here's, I will explain why we did that. Or I'll say, you know what, we're going to have this discussion after. Uh, and, and, and we're, but we're going to do this now, you know? Um, and so, but if that relationship is there and that relationship is strong, then, you know, very rarely will they not follow. I was going to say, it probably sounds like it goes back to, you talked earlier about the, not just do this, but the why, why exactly. are we doing this? Does video play a role in that? Like, uh, in, like, is there a lot of work on video and sort of showing, Hey, like I'm seeing this here or like, how, where does video fit in for you? Um, you know what? It's, it's all very different. Uh, I've had goaltenders that love to watch every single shot attempt at net. I've had other goaltenders that give me what's important. Give me the two or three clips that we need to work on and let's do it. Um, John Gibson is a, is a, give me a, give me three or four clips that you think we need to, to work on. Let's go out and let's do it before practice. Boom. Um, you know, short to the point, uh, Ryan Miller loves to watch every clip and, and, and see how he handled the, the game as a whole. Uh, Dwayne Rolston was the same thing. Uh, Marty Biron was similar to that. Um, you know, so I've had different guys over the years that they, they, they like to have video tailored to their sort of how they like to view things. And so, again, it comes down to getting to know the guy and, and what they want. Um, and like I said, with Gibson, I, I clipped the three or four clips. Here it is. Here's what we need to do. This was a great save. This was not, you know, we need to, to work on this. When we go on practice, we can do this before practice. Boom. Done. Um, so very short and to the point. I am never shortened to the point, and this interview has gotten really long. And as Darren Millard likes to give me a hard time all the time, I've always got one last question I want to sneak in. I did want to sneak one more in for, though. Sure. Any advice for young goalie coaches? Um, because I know a lot of them listen to this podcast. Uh, you went from you know working as a teacher, but also still goalie coaching. I think you were working out at York uh, as well as a goalie coach. You built relationships. I, I know it was guys like uh, uh, Stephen Valaket was... We've had him on the podcast, Kevin Weeks. They both, I remember them raving to me about you when they were playing before I think a lot of people knew who Sudarshan Maharaj was. I'd heard your name through these guys. That path from side gig to now in the National Hockey League for so long, uh, I know you went through the American League. I know with the Islanders, some time with Hockey Canada, there was some in and out there, but what advice would you give to young goaltending coaches who look at where you are now as the ultimate goal, but there's a lot of, there is a lot of them. There's a lot of goalie coaches trying to find those different paths and find those different routes to there. Oh, no question. I, I, I get that question a lot, actually. I'll, I'll have goalie coaches ask me that at coaching conferences and, and, or, or web sessions and things like that. And, and, and there's a few things that I, I, I always reach to. And one of them is, um, A, before you move to your next level, whatever your next level is, Make sure that you make all of your mistakes before you move up to that next level. So if you're coaching in, you know, uh, in junior, uh, in tier two, wherever it is, in, in minor hockey, where to make your mistakes there, learn, be overripe, be over ready to get to the next level. And when you get to that level, make your mistakes there and be over ready and overripe and move to the next level. The, the, you know, this level is, 
<laughs> there isn't a lot of forgiveness. Um, and, and so um, you, it's very easy to be one and done, you know? Um, and, and so uh, you really have to, to make sure you, you take care of all your details. Um, just like you said, uh, you, you, you have to learn um, what your level of um, ability to, to connect with your goaltenders is, you know, uh, develop that, those interpersonal skills with your goaltenders, you know, develop where, learn where to draw that line, as you pointed out earlier, between friend and coach, you know, there has to be a line there and, and learn how to develop that line. That's an important, important skill. Um, and then as far as the technical things go, study the goalie coaches that are out there that are great. Study the, study the, 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 well, before Francois was gone, study the Francois Lairs, study the Benoit Lairs, study the, you know, um, go through the, the, the Roly Melanson's and, and all of those guys that were, were there. Really see what, what uh, those guys are doing and how they're doing it. You, you know, you, there was a time, it's kind of gone now, but there was a time I could look at a goaltender and tell you which goalie coach you worked with immediately. Boom. That was, he worked with that goalie coach. That, those lines have been blurred now because there's been a, a, a uniformity to, to the way that goalies are coached now, which I think is actually a negative to go back to your original thing about one size fits all. Um, but um, I, I, I think go and study the guys that are successful. You know, watch, watch uh, the, the transformation of, um, of goalies that have gone from struggling to, to succeeding. And what have they, what have they improved? How have they improved? You know, so there is the homework doesn't just happen on the ice. It happens in front of your television, in front of your computer monitor, where you can really say, Hey, you know what? I really like the way this goalie does that. I really like the way that goalie does that. Um, What are the strengths of these goalie coaches? I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that and take a little bit from everybody. Don't be afraid to, to take a little piece from each and every one. With the game and the position evolving so quick, as much as you try and keep it simple with so many different, like whether it's catchphrases or, you know, I mean, even like you said, RVH, VH, that's, that's all, you know, what, maybe 10 years old, uh, 15 years old on VH. That's, that's a pretty quick transition. Um, how do you stay on top of it? Is it just that same level with homework? Can you get caught in the bubble when you're inside a team? Sometimes teams insulate their goalie coaches from other voices how do you make sure you stay sharp you know um coaches uh, regular coaches clinics i'll go to it does not be goalie coaching clinics it'll be coach clinics in general now the, there are some wonderful goalie coaching seminars and things like that and and symposiums that are happening now um you know the, the fantastic um i think but going there with uh, understanding that not everything is going to work. Not everything is going to work for you. Not everything's going to work for your teaching style. Not everything's going to work for your goaltender. But going out there and being exposed to the information, um, you know, every once in a while somebody tries to come up with a new concept or a new thing. And, and I can tell you, there were everything from cowling slides to shin pad deflections to, to there have been some things over the years that have been, oh, here's a way to rip your groin and, and guarantee a short rebound goal. You know, you can, you can see some of these things that have, have happened over the years that have dissipated and disappeared, but you have to be strong enough in your understanding of the position 
to navigate through those things and, and, uh, and understand that, hey, this, these elements work for me. And after a while, slowly, once you've studied those things, you start to see what your vision of what a, a, a solid, strong goaltender will look like. Uh, and once you've formed that vision, then I think you're ready to move on. It sounds like the advice we hear from goalies like Jason LaBarbera. When I asked him about all the different coaches he worked with, he said, they all give you tools for the toolbox. you got to decide which ones work for you. So it sounds like the same thing can apply to goalie coaching. Absolutely, it should. All right. Um, Sudzy, thank you so much for your time. I want to let you go because I've taken up half your week here with this conversation. And I want to make sure you get out of here so you can enjoy um, and really get to soak in Ryan Miller's last game here in a couple of days. I know that might not be the focus for you guys, but um, I mean, an absolute legend of the position and it must be an absolute treat to, to be there firsthand to witness this. Cause I, I, from the outside, it sure looks like it's, it's special cause it's been a special career. It must be neat to, to be on the inside. Yeah. You know, um, I, there are certain little things I will never forget. Uh, the night that he broke the record for most wins by us born goaltender, um, Josh Manson, one of our defensemen, I, I whispered to Josh that, hey, tonight's the night, I think. And uh, at the end of one of the periods, pick up one of the pucks because the puck, Ryan's going to get the, the, the game puck at the end, but I want one too. And so at the end of the second period, um, Josh grabbed, a puck, grabbed that puck. And so at the end of the game, when Ryan was sort of holding up his puck in victory, I had one too. And we had a picture taken with the two of us holding up a puck from his, from his game where he broke the record. Um, so there's no question. He, uh, uh, it, it's been a pleasure this morning, optional skate who's out on the ice, Ryan Miller. Um, and so that, that workout, uh, that work ethic, uh, and that dedication to his craft is literally, he has hours left in his career and there he is still working on his game. Incredible. I think that's part of what made such a great career is how much he loved being out there. So um, thanks for all the stories. Thanks for the great insights and enjoy another evening that I'm sure will be full of great memories uh, on Saturday. Thanks very much. Gav. Pleasure. Sensorina Sensorino VR bringing you our feature interview. Sudzi Sudarshan Maharaja from the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, that was a, you're right. What are you? Uh, that, that might be one of my, my three picks, uh, for our top podcast recommendations, podcast episodes from in goal radio, the podcast, uh, well done. Except you can't pick it. Cause I already did much like the Vesna ah, thing. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for letting okay. me go first. Okay. That's, uh, what, what, what's your takeaway? You've known Sudsy a long time, so it might be more difficult to just, uh, narrow down to that particular discussion, but what do you take away from that? Oh, I mean, there's so much, um, you know, and we talked actually for probably over an hour afterwards as well. Um, just, you know, I think at a time when the game gets broken down so much, uh, technically and guilty as charged on that myself. Um, we've talked about that before, how easy it is sometimes to pick apart and look at the technical game just recognizing that there is so much more to it, uh, and how important the relationships are. Um, how important it is not to put everyone in a box. I mean, Ryan Miller, some of the anecdotes he shared about him, and what a great example of, you know, some things that are becoming a bit of a lost art. Um, and I think there are times when, when, you know, outside observers watch John Gibson, for example, and think, 
yeah, maybe he could be tighter, you know, maybe he could do this different. But I think there's a very conscious effort not to lose John Gibson by trying to make him something else. And that's that's one of the things that makes Gibson such a special goaltender is that that Sudsy hasn't tried to take away some of the instinctive elements in his game by making him too technical. And it's a really tough thing to judge right now. We always talk about, you know, we talked we started this thing with Vesna and environment and what's the defensive environment for the team. Um, goaltending never exists in a vacuum. And so I think it's very tough to judge the goaltenders in Anaheim right now because that environment is just so bad and has been for so long. I worry about the cumulative effect of that. And so I think that makes the relationship part even more important, not just not just for a goalie coach who's trying to make sure he doesn't lose his guy in terms of what makes him special on the ice, but trying to not lose a guy who's, you know, just basically been through the ringer uh, playing behind a team that, you know, has struggled so much on the ice as well. So uh, lots of takeaways there, but that was one of the ones that just the human element of this uh, often gets overlooked from the outside observers. And it's a very important part. I loved acknowledging how much uh, the goalie partner relationship plays into it. Uh, John and Ryan bouncing stuff off each other. Uh, Stolars uh, as well with Anthony uh, in that mix, uh, talking about it, going back and forth. And the don't judge the book by its cover and that uh, antidote from his teaching days uh, with that uh, poor young girl and uh, getting underneath the uh, what is causing the, the behavior or the decisions uh, can be related to in in all facts of of life but uh, i thought that was uh that was wonderful hutch uh, uh that uh that was a fun interview uh Sudzy is a great guy and uh and he's had a couple of different stops and he continues to progress and continues to take things from uh different elements of of goaltending and uh he's he he is a cool guy isn't he some of our listeners might be you know new to Sudzy in the sense that you know we haven't spoken about him as much as perhaps we should, because within the goaltending industry, within amongst his peers in the industry, um, this is one of the most respected guys in the game. Um, gets spoken of by, by as I say, by his peers in the same realm as some of the guys like the Allaires and the Corns of the world. And and he's been around the game for a long time. Um, I actually met Sudsy before uh, Woody and I be, became a partnership here at Ingol uh, when Kevin Weeks connected the two of us. Uh, he was fascinated by what we got started here at Ingoal and Sudsy wanted to get involved a little bit and so he was sort of a, a quiet support in the background actually did a historical article um, way back in about I think 2010 for us as well uh, so he's got a, a profound interest in the history of the game and the development of the position and has been um, you know working at it for so long that he has gained an incredible respect amongst his peers in the game and and at the end of the day, isn't that what we, we all really want? Um, great career for, for Sudsey so far, and uh, looking forward to some great things going forward. Be remiss not to mention the fact that he asked Manson to grab the puck after one of the periods uh, before the, the record was set by, by Ryan Miller. That was, uh, that was, that's forward thinking right there. But you also do it as a wispy. Can you grab a puck tonight? That'd be really cool if we could do that. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it went, but... Uh, uh, thanks to uh, Sushan Maharaj uh, for joining us. Uh, Sudzi, the goalie coach for the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Cam over at the Hockey Shop, a source for sports, uh, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. They have some amazing things going on uh, there. Uh, just just rolling out the stuff and uh, really looking forward to uh, getting up and, and running. Woody, like they, they rock and roll over at the Hockey Shop, don't they? 
Yeah, absolutely. The new true stuff, obviously we talked about this week, but it's like it's coming fast and furious now. And you'll see us shift to focus a little bit in the next couple of weeks, just as we did last week this, with the CCM 5.9. Um, we're going to really try and dig into some of the second price points. I think the focus for us at Ingle Mag a lot of the time is on the pro level. And that's not necessarily the stuff that everyone wears, for, for whether it's for kids or for beer league. Sometimes that next tier down um, is really important. And there have been some massive strides in that gear uh, that we're going to go over in the next couple of weeks. Bowers launch is coming up at the end of the month, May 20th, for all their new lines. Uh, we already told you about Hyperlight because you can order it uh, custom online from thehockeyshop.com now uh, and have been able to for a while. But the rest of their stuff is about to hit the store. And there's some really exciting elements in that line, especially in that second price point. Um, a pad that we had on the ice just a couple of weeks ago in 3X that... I swear it's it's there there are pro level pad attributes to this for less than half the price. So I'm really excited to get back there all these new launches and we're going to try and dig a little deeper uh, over the next couple of weeks and get into some of the some of the gear that is 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 good enough for most of us frankly um but often gets overlooked in in our pro gear reviews. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming. Hey, speaking of our Hyperlite, Congratulations to uh, Ben Goudreau and uh, Team Canada who won the World Under-18 Championship last night. Dominating performance, and they, they rolled through. That can't be easy, uh, but uh, did they keep their focus or what? Uh, that was an awesome performance and a great celebration. It almost felt normal, right? Some people in the stands, uh, a hockey celebration, gloves going up, yard sale at the end, and a trophy being presented. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great uh, bit of progress uh, for everybody. Uh, Sudsy. You are awesome. Uh, Cam, keep on rocking it over at the uh, Hockey Shop, uh, Source for Sports Story, thehockeyshop.com. And for Woody and Hutch, uh, thanks for listening to this latest edition of In Goal Radio, the podcast. We'll be back with you next week for the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs.